The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Film Show, where this week's new releases exist in a compromised reality of groggy half-truths. We're going to be delving into the subconscious, searching for missing memories, and if we can't find them, well then we'll just start from scratch and make them up ourselves. Sit back, relax, and keep listening. We hope you're susceptible. Coming up on this week's show, Channing Tatum, Bruce Willis and Dwayne The Rock Johnson take the fight to Cobra in G.I. Joe Retaliation. Francois Ozon lets a precocious student edit the truth to pieces in his new drama, In the House. And Penny Walcock hits the streets of Birmingham to reunite a city divided in the gangland documentary, One Mile Away. But first, let's take a look at the new film from director Danny Boyle. After the blockbuster success of the London 2012 opening ceremony, Boyle's back to the day job. Trance is a psychological thriller in which a hypnotherapist delves into the criminal mind and finds more twists and turns than an Olympic high diver. I spoke to Danny last week about his new film. There's something hidden inside me. What is it? It's a memory. A memory? A memory of what you did. There's not enough films made like this. There's not enough of these kind of psychological thrillers, which are literally inside the mind, which bounce around with the hundred billion neurons or whatever it is we have going on here and kind of mess with the mind. Where is it? I can't remember, I got hit on the head. I think in all movies, no matter what kind of type they are, you, uh, uh, you agree to be voluntarily hypnotised, I think. You buy, you buy a ticket and you go and sit there and the flickering image and you, you forget reality. And it's an illusion. They're not even really moving. But you make them move. Where is it? Why did you lie to me? They say that women are much better with these kind of films, curiously enough. Even they look like male films, these psychological thrillers with a kind of puzzle in them, they say women are much better at absorbing them because they relax more and go with the flow, whereas men are always trying to organise. I was trying to go, oh, no, no, I don't believe it. And kind of get regimented about stuff. So hopefully people will have a lot to talk about. That's Danny Boyle talking about trance there. Now, joining me to mind meld over this week's new releases are our site editor, Andrew Pulver, and The Guardian's film critic, Peter Bradshaw. Peter, uh, you reviewed this last week for the site, and I don't think Danny had you entranced. Am I right in saying that? He didn't exactly, no. Uh, it's become such a critical cliche to, to begin sorrowing reviews with the words, I wanted to like this. It was almost my patriotic duty to like it, but I found myself really turned off by it. I was, I was baffled and disappointed by it. Uh, I thought it tied itself up in knots. It disappeared up its own fundament. Uh, and all the elegance and wit of the premise seem to be kind of uh, blown away by really excessive and charmless violence, really kind of macho stuff, which I thought really didn't blend with the, the highly intriguing premise. I mean, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of interior mind game movies, really. I, I think sometimes they just uh, sort of collapse in on themselves. I, I've got to confess, I wasn't a huge fan of Inception, but Inception had something, it had a clarity of purpose which I, for me, I, trance really did it. I was almost thinking, this is almost, looks like straight to video stuff, except of course that's what they said about Slumdog Millionaire and look how well that turned it's out. It's got so, a campy vanilla sky feel to it as well. Yeah, a, a little bit. 
but again, what this has, which Vanilla Sky didn't have, which is violence. I mean, it's a very brutal, tough guy, macho, violent movie, as well as anything else. I mean, there's quite a lot of some people getting their heads shot off. Uh, which you wouldn't guess by the way the movie's being marketed. It's being marketed as this mind-bending thriller, ooh, you know, things like that. But it's actually a very physical and quite brutal film. Mm. Andrew, what did you think of it? Um, I've got to say, you know, I sort of went to see it the um, same time as Peter did. And, I mean, I came away feeling pretty baffled in, in some ways that I couldn't quite work out what it was trying to be, that, that it seemed on the one hand to be this sort of suspense, Hitchcockian sort of suspense thriller. Mm. Um, it was also trying to be a gangster thriller, um, and 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 it, it it just sort of nothing seemed to work in in the way that it it sort of seemed to want to work really. Like those sort of um, you know Hitch, you know Hitchcock films like um, Spellbound, it sort of reminded me of a bit. It sort of doesn't really matter that nobody um, nobody is you know remotely convincing at what they're supposed to be because they're just sort of suits kind of move, being moved around a sort of chessboard on some level but um, I, I, I think sort of Peter's right you know there was that you know Danny Boyle is a director renowned for chucking absolutely everything into a film and he he certainly chucked everything into this film and and it sort of you know was too much really and, and sort of fell apart really. I don't think you can fault this film's energy though no. I mean Danny Boyle is great at that just yeah. amping everything up to a level oh he certainly did that yeah, yeah he, he, he certainly did that. To its or, detriment, though. To, think, yeah, yeah, I think he gave it sort of 135% of what it kind of needed, or certainly what I wanted. And I also have to say, I had kind of a problem with the, the soundtrack, the ambient soundtrack, which I thought worked interestingly in the original heist sequence. I thought it was interesting because he was playing against type. It didn't have the traditional heist music. It had this kind of ambient stuff. But then as it went on, this, this ambient soundtrack just got louder and louder and more and more intrusive. And it, it just was like a migraine after a while. I just couldn't, I couldn't get, get, get with it at all. I think you guys are being a bit harsh on this one. I mean, he was doing the Olympic ceremony, making this, and doing Frankenstein at the National Oh, yeah. At the I mean, he's time. spreading himself very thin. I mean, he's a, he's a great man. And the remarkable thing about the Olympic ceremony is that it, it went above and beyond any normal product from the media arts complex. Anything else falling off the production line, like Frankenstein or Slumdog Millionaire, it was, you know, good, interesting, great. But the Isles of Wonder... Uh, the Isles of Wonder show. I mean, that went beyond anything. It meant more to us than anything he'd done before. It was an incredible and remarkable achievement. Uh, in a way, it was his masterpiece. And it wasn't just like, it was like participating in some massive, almost religious event. That's what was so kind of incredible about it. And so, uh, to be fair to him, anything he did afterwards maybe was going to be a little bit of an anticlimax. And we're asking an awful lot of this uniquely talented man and saying, look, you've already made, a, uh, made us feel good about ourselves. Now, you know, entertain us again, Mr. Boyle. We're still not happy. Give us another movie. And guess what? Maybe it's not quite, not quite what we wanted. But, uh, I mean, I'm still uh, awestruck by, by Danny Boyle. I think he's, a, he's an incredible creative artist. So I'd like you to close your eyes and imagine you're in an elevator. A wide elevator with velvet walls and thick carpets. And as the doors close, your eyelids become heavier. And as your eyes become heavier and the elevator begins to go down, you realize that this is the elevator of relaxation. And now you're on the third floor going down and you could get out, but you want to go on. Deeper, deeper, deeper into relaxation. 
and you feel that perhaps you'll never want to get out. It's so safe here, so comfortable, so relaxed. I don't want to talk to Simon anymore. What? I want to talk to the men who are listening. The men who heard him. That's trance probably being a little bit too cerebral for its own good there. And that's not a charge that we could level at our next film. Lock and load, you lunkheads. Here's G.I. Joe Retaliation. After the rise of Cobra comes the retaliation of the Joes. The president's been kidnapped. An evil genius is aiming a space weapon at London. But never fear, the Plastic Fantastic Gang are on hand to save the day. Rest assured, all of their parts are fully movable. when I edit this, I put in a clip and a little description underneath to try and give people an idea of what this film is about. And I literally could not find a clip that had any kind of plot <laughs> or character or story in this. So my question is, is this just dumb or is it dumb fun or help? Um, I mean, the first thing I've got to say is obviously, I don't think any of us would actually have chosen to see this film off our own bats. I mean, we were sort of like, you know, shoehorned into the, into the screening to... Um, we're more fast and furious yeah, kind yeah, of guys. Absolutely. And I think, obviously, it's pretty clear this, this film is another one of those films based on a toy. And even as toys go, it's not a particularly subtle or refined toy. It's basically Action Man. It's not even Transformers. And, you know, the toy doesn't do anything, doesn't change. It's just basically a, a, a sort of soldier. Um, and that's sort of what the, this film is. You know, it is basically a bunch of soldiers uh, on some elaborately conceived mission which um, makes very very little sense there's some very sort of strange references to uh, you know militia acti activity in the US where you know where what Peter has sort of described in his review as sort of NRA porn really where you know this really is about loving your weapon in a very obvious way and um, some one or two very strange bats quick signals to um, an audience that might be watching it um, to say, you know, hey guys, we, you know, we, we like guns and we're anti-gun, you know, we're anti-gun law and stuff like that. So, um, um, so it's it's it, it's basically, I think on the whole, it's fairly reprehensible. I would have loved this movie to be kind of silly and entertaining and kind of daft, uh, but it's so humorless and so horrible uh, and just crass and heavy-handed. But as Andrew said, it's you know how absurd of us as sort of. Uh, panty waist liberals to start whining about G.I. Joe. It does its job, it, it does it very effectively. But then arguably it's got everyone's, uh, every panty waist liberal's favourite action yeah. hero in the form of Bruce Willis here. Yeah. I mean, his recent run hasn't been great. I know, you know, is this we, I know but we're, in the we're kind of, it's sort of almost cool for the panty waist demographic to kind of like Bruce Willis these days, but he doesn't give us anything doesn't give us anything here. Well, I mean. well, well, the thing is with him, he sort of went through that period of looking like he was kind of being a bit ironic about his mm. action man status, and now he seems to have given up on that and just, you know, maybe it's the last glorious Blowing summer of actually being able to hold yeah. a machine gun and shoot people. But, you know, I mean, he's only in this film for, you know, it didn't seem only for about five minutes, it seemed to me, you know, just sort of wheeled on, opens a load of cupboards with guns in and then sort of disappears again. <laughs> 
Try not to scratch her up. Idol's a little rough and neutral. I ain't gonna be in neutral. Well, uh, what about you? You know, D says I can't come out of retirement. They didn't say anything about re-enlisting. Reporting for duty, Sergeant Major. That's Duke, Jinx, Mouse, Roblox, Master Blaster, um, hundreds of others. Uh, they kick ass better than me and they take names far more efficiently as well. Now let's head to Birmingham, where documentary maker Penny Walcock is on the boundary between two warring gangs. This is one mile away. One of the things I did was doing uh, Northern Ireland peace talks because you remember when, when Blair came in in 97, it had all gone back to violence again. The IRA had started killing and the big bomb in Canary Wharf and a bunch of bombs in Northern Ireland. And we, um, Tony Blair managed to get them back into, into peace talks. And then quite quickly, in about a year, we got them from there to the Good Friday Agreement where they finally signed off on a, a peace agreement. And I guess that's kind of what you're facing because if you're going to make this stop after all these years, it's not going to be something you do in like two or three weeks. It's something that's going to take a very, very long time. One Mile Away charts the beginnings of a truce between Birmingham gangs, the Johnson crew and the Burger Bar boys. Director Penny Wilcock mediates between opposing factions, gives them access to advisers from the top of the tree. From there it's up to them to see past suspicion and paranoia and make the peace process work. Nothing to live for, nothing to look up to, no role models in their lives, so it's, it's hard to get through. It's been this way for so long, it's what they know, it's what they go to bed for, what they wake up for, they're just comfortable in that they don't see no need for no change or nothing like that so the hard part is basically getting a vision across of the bigger picture of like you know what we really should be doing andrew i thought this documentary was really interesting not least because of the stakes that it's playing with there's some real risks for the people involved here isn't there yeah um and i think that actually filters very much through into the conditions of it being made i mean you can tell right from the first frame that if, you know that well firstly that Penny Walcock's access is completely hampered by the fact that half the people she wants to talk to won't talk to her because they're, you know, they're all totally paranoid and suspicious of everybody's motives and and um, and that that's actually the the kind of defining emotion of the film, which is it, is basically suspicion. You know, no, everyone's sort of looking over their shoulders. Everyone's sort of terrified of, you know, basically, I suppose, being killed or sort of getting into serious trouble and. Um, it, it sort of makes for quite a curious documentary because half the half pretty much half half the time she is waiting around with somebody else who's on the phone to somebody who you can't see and they're kind of having some kind of argument about whether or not to actually speak to the filmmaker or just to do anything and it, I, I suppose it sort of reflects the frustration that the people who she does talk to are feeling about what they're trying to do. Peter, the, the making of it sounds frustrating, but is it a frustrating watch? No, I didn't. Th I didn't find it so at all. I, I was very impressed by it. I found myself really. Uh, kind of gobsmacked with admiration for what Penny Wilcott was doing. She was bringing a kind of, I can only describe it as social entrepreneurialism to the activity of documentary filmmaking. And it was risky and bold of her to do it. I liked it better than the movie that this grew out of one day, which was her kind of gangbanger grime musical, which melded documentary with kind of dramatic stuff. And I thought that was a little bit uneasy. But this, I think, is much riskier and bolder. And to get these two gang members together 
again, fascinating stuff. There's a terrific scene where she brings in Jonathan Powell, the civil servant behind the, behind the Northern Ireland peace process, to talk to them. A brilliant idea, a real coup. It's a shame that doesn't really lead anywhere, but nevertheless, she got those two gangsters together with Jonathan Powell, and it was a fascinating scene. It really was, it really was good. Uh, and she brought out other insights as well, the generational difference between the, the Hansworth riots of the 1980s, where gangs didn't exist. They were all together against the police or, 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 or possibly the, the, the racists or the BNP and the National Front. Now that's different. Now they're all against each other in this futile and grotesque world of gang warfare. And uh, she brought out an, an interesting point, which has been made before, but I think bears repeating, that during the riots, the gangster uh, divisions uh, dissolved. And they forgot about it in their great rush to loot shops. Now, Penny Wilcock sort of comes almost close uh, to saying that that's okay. It's cool to loot shops because we've, uh, we've, we've dissolved our differences, guys. But it's a very good point. And I was really impressed by this. It was a f so many documentaries are, you know, they, they, they are taking no risks at all, really. They are standing back. They are, as it were, sort of Louis Theroux documentaries where they're sort of taking the mick a bit. But this, uh, this was really, t I think, risky stuff. And it was interesting. It was trying to intervene, but trying to do something good and make a film about what they're doing. And I got to say, I think fair play to Penny Wilcock. I think she's, she's, it's, not, it's not perfect. It's flawed because the whole thing is flawed. The whole thing isn't going to work. It's just a process. But fair play to her. Really a pat on the back for her because this is really good stuff. Man are getting older now. We've got kids in it. Probably running around, gunning down man all your life. So it's time for a change. Don't you burying your friend and you've done you crying and bridges and mum's crying and you can't be living like this, Don. This is crazy. 18 and I'm going down for packing a gun. Misled by my oldest, I was slanging for funds. Still attacking my lungs. Weed smoke got me para celebrity. We all got together today and said, yo, the beef between Bergabar and Johnson is done. It's dead. Nothing. Nothing can't change. Because the next man dies now or the next shot goes up. This is gonna get messy again. Penny Wilcox's one mile away there. And now to France, where the smell of middle-class women fills the air and they dance barefoot on autumn leaves, at least according to the pen of the literary genius at the heart of Francois Ozon's In the House. Pourquoi vous m'aidez comme ça Parce que je suis ton professeur et que c'est mon rôle. Mais non, mais pourquoi avec moi et pas avec les autres Écoute, j'aime pas faire des compliments inutiles, mais je trouve que t'écris plutôt bien. Claude is a schoolboy, but his literary talents have opened up strange adult worlds. He's obsessed with writing about his classmates' happy home life, mixing truth and fiction into a libidinous concoction that could leave him drunk on power, were it not for the guiding hand of his teacher. But what if Teach has developed a taste for the source too? Do you know what he had in his pocket? The cinglé who killed John Lennon? Catch her in the rye. What did he learn in literature, this fool? Nothing. Ça, c'est évident que tes expositions nous en apprennent davantage. Les expositions, c'est exactement la même chose. L'art, en général, ne nous apprend rien et tu le sais très bien. Mm, oui, enfin, ça nous éveille à la beauté des choses. Tu veux boire? Peter, there's a hint of adaptation here, a bit of Bergman, a bit of Woody Allen, maybe, oh, as definitely. well. Yeah. Is this, is this a film, a writing about writing film that works, um, or is it... I, I thought it worked brilliantly well in the first 20 minutes. I thought it was almost like Chabrol, something very strange and sinister. And this, this boy insinuating himself like a parasite into somebody else's house with this curious, ambiguous, 
at first not obviously sexual obsession, but then much more so. And I was on the edge of my seat for it. And then it kind of, I think it sort of lost its way a little bit, really. I never quite knew, well, where are we going with this? Are we leading to some great revelation? Are we leading to some terrible moment of shock or suspense? And it gradually kind of leaked away a bit. But it, it has terrific poise and elegance. And of course, Fabrice Lucchini and Christian Scott Thomas, I mean, they just give it so much elegance and, and, and dash and style. And there's a lot of there's a lot of comedy in there as well. It is, what, oddly, they go and see a Woody Allen movie, and the Woody Allen movie they go to see is, oddly, Match Point, which is where their taste appears to, <laughs> appears to let them down a little this bit. This is better than Match Point. Well, well it is better than Match Point, but it is, I think, influenced by late-period Woody Allen. It is a bit sort of Melinda and Melinda, to be honest with you. Not that there's anything wildly bad with that, but it's not the, it's not the excellent, excellent... Ozon movie that I was hoping for. Eventually, I thought the levels of reality kind of got a bit clogged. Mm. But that's not before we've seen a really intriguing and amusing film. Mm. How does this work then in the way that Trance doesn't? Because they both share that kind of what are you, can you believe what you're seeing type I, it keeps It keeps a lid on it, basically. I mean, that may be a, a fatuous thing to say because part of Danny Boyle's process is to blow the lid off it, but I found this much more interesting and it's about implied violence, whereas, again, trance is about real-world violence uh, and it's, it's more shapely in a way and there's more of a sense of just pure success, uh, of a kind of cost-effectiveness of the intellectual input as opposed to the output of pleasure that you're getting moment by moment on the screen. J'avais remarqué que ses parents l'attendaient souvent à la sortie des cours, se tenant par la main. Il y a plein d'autres garçons qui auraient honte de montrer leurs parents ou bien honte que leurs parents viennent les chercher à notre âge. Rafa non. Rafa n'a aucun problème avec ça. Et je me demandais, comment peut-elle bien être sa maison C'est comment la maison d'une famille normale Francois Ozon, writing wrongs within the house there. And that's it for this week's show. It just remains for me to thank Peter Bradshaw and Andrew Pulver for joining us. And thanks to you very much for watching. And I just have to say on a personal note that it's been so much fun this week. And it's just been great talking to the guys. And G.I. Joe looks terrible, but then... For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.